Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye, and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Finbar O'Reilly, award-winning photographer and author of the newly released memoir, Shooting Ghosts. Finbar, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Also a Yale World Fellow from 2015. Indeed. So, Finbar, what was it that made you decide you wanted to be a war photographer? Well, I came quite late to the profession. I had been working as a correspondent in Central Africa for a number of years, and this was in the years immediately after 9-11, so much of the media focus was on Iraq, Afghanistan, and Middle East generally. And so the stories that I was producing from Congo and Rwanda and these other major conflicts that were unfolding out of the uh, kind of uh, focus of, the, of the, the mainstream media, were these stories were being largely overlooked despite being major conflicts. And what I discovered is when I started taking pictures, stories that would often be condensed or cut down to a few hundred words um, would be reproduced in images on the front pages of newspapers and double page spreads in magazines. And the more pictures I took, the more uh, higher profile uh, presentation that my stories were getting in, in magazines and newspapers. So I discovered that photography was a very powerful, immediate and emotional way of storytelling um, beyond what I was producing as a newswire correspondent working with words. Yeah, but you could have been taking photos of weddings or soccer matches. What, what, why did you choose war? I didn't, I didn't really choose war. Uh, I had backpacked through Africa uh, after leaving university, and I ended up there in 1994 and, and been in Rwanda just as the genocide was beginning to unfold, and then shortly thereafter was in South Africa as Mandela was elected. And those two extremes of of human experience were hugely compelling to me and made me want to be back with a kind of um, ringside seat in a way to history and, and major things happening. I wanted to be where history was turning and, and to be able to document it. And that didn't necessarily mean war initially. And, and war is really only one of the things that I've covered in my career as a photographer, but it does become a defining thing in a career, partly because that's often the work that gets the most attention. And it's often, and it is the work that leaves the biggest mark on you as an individual. But were you actively seeking danger? I mean, weren't you afraid you'd be kidnapped or be killed? You know, as 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 a young male, you, you seek out adventure and excitement and an interesting life. And when those motives uh, correspond with what seems a noble pursuit in in the form of journalism or photojournalism, then that's that's a comfortable place to kind of reside for a while. And I spent a long time there doing what I felt was uh, important and meaningful work. And that was really the thing that fed me and, and drove me to these places. Because th- things that you see in war, these are life and death, death matters. And they feel much more significant than some of the more trivial things that I, that I might otherwise be covering if I were 
working as a newswire photographer in uh, London or New York where I would be sent to cover a press conference or a gallery opening or an auction or people walking in and out of a courtroom. Now, I understand that those things are important for agencies to cover and for newspapers to to have images of, but it just didn't interest me um, the way that living kind of on the edge did. So your memoir, Shooting Ghosts, is a joint memoir. So tell me a bit about your co-author, T.J. Brennan. How did you actually meet T.J.? So T.J. was a sergeant in the Marine Corps when I met him in this at this tiny outpost up on top of a hill in Helmand Province in 2010. And initially he wasn't too thrilled to have a journalist turn up at this remote outpost where he was in charge of 15 men, uh, 15 Marines, in a very hostile area. So this is southern Afghanistan. That's right. And um, I had to kind of ingratiate myself within this tight-knit, closed group. And the only way to do that really was to was to share the hardship of the living conditions they had at this tiny outpost that didn't have running water or electricity or even um, fresh food. It was all ration packs. And I had to be willing to uh, expose myself to the same risks that they took on daily foot patrols through these uh, remote uh, mud villages where there weren't many people. The only people who were there were the kind who would shoot at the patrols. And by, by spending time with him and his squad and by, um, by coming under fire and uh, documenting an, a Taliban ambush where, where Sergeant Brennan gets uh, injured and suffers from a traumatic brain injury, that kind of you know, welded our lives together in a way. And we kept in touch after both of us left Afghanistan and returned to our respective homes. And we, we continued to correspond and, and exchange uh, ideas and experiences through through the written word as he tried to make sense of his experiences. And, and I helped him do that while also trying to make sense of my own experiences at war. And these are two very different experiences. I'm a professional witness with cameras. He's a, a combatant who had to kill in combat. And we shared certain uh, similarities with the experience of war, but also very different um, moral quandaries for him, the taking of life and the responsibility for the lives of his Marines that he had to get back home. And for, for myself, the, the ethical questions of the kind of work that I was doing over many years, documenting strife and conflict, and earning a good salary, uh, winning awards, and the, the media company that I was working for and media outlets generally using my pictures and also as sort of for-profit organizations. And all of us um, really benefiting in a way from other people's misery and suffering. And I became quite uncomfortable with that at a certain point and had to grapple with the, the moral uh, quandary about whether what I was doing was right and what I could do about that myself. So you've been in many different conflict zones and you describe some of these in your book. But it seems to be that Gaza, the summer of 2014, really had a big impact on you. Why was that? There are a number of factors, I think, that come into play there. One of them being that I'd been covering conflict for quite a long time at that point. I had just returned from a sabbatical year where I had spent um, 12 months studying the trauma psychology on a fellowship at Harvard. And so I'd gained some distance and perspective on the kind of work that I'd been doing, and I understood it in a more kind of 
academic and intellectual way rather than a kind of emotional, immediate uh, way that I, I did when I was in the middle of it. And also, I found myself, even though I'd covered many conflicts across Africa and in, in different parts of the Middle East and Asia, um, I had never seen killing, me mechanized killing on this scale. And much of the killing was um, of civilians, children, women. And it was a very lopsided, asymmetrical war. And the journalists who were there with me, we were all photographing similar scenes of destroyed buildings, explosions, rockets landing in Gaza, and then the the carnage that those uh, strikes, airstrikes, uh, caused. And that was, in, you know, children blown to pieces, women blown to pieces and brought to the morgues. And all of us in there with our cameras jostling for position to get the best frame and sticking our cameras in the faces of the grieving relatives. And I kept looking at what I was doing and the other journalists were doing, and I just thought, in any other situation, this would be totally unacceptable. But because these kinds of scenes have played out over and over with every war in Gaza, they've become part of the death ritual there, in a sense. People expect it to happen. But I was very uncomfortable with this and didn't want to have any part of it because I didn't think it added anything to the conversation or to the condemnation of, of what was happening. And I no longer felt like I was there capturing an image, but rather that I was just maintaining this ongoing image of war in this particular place that looked like the Gaza war from each of the, the previous times that, that this kind of flare-up had happened in Gaza. And so I left there feeling very disillusioned and disheartened and realized that I no longer wanted to do this kind of work. The importance of, the, of documenting the kind of atrocities that took place there is important. I just no longer felt I had um, the mental capacity, the emotional capacity to continue doing it. Was it Gaza that made you decide to give up being a war photographer or were there other factors? In truth, I think I'd given up before I went to Gaza and then I still found myself going in somewhat against my better judgment to see, to balance whether what I was feeling in my gut was true or not. And then when I got there, I realized that it was, I'd had enough. So what's been the hardest part of your transition away from being a war photographer, being a journalist, a war photographer, that's what's defined you for years and years of your life? Exactly. Leaving leaving that profession and leaving that role in the identity that it provides. For many years, I was a high-profile Reuters photographer who covered high-profile stories. And then suddenly, I wasn't. And it was, it was a matter of trying to redefine myself. How do you even introduce yourself to somebody who you meet casually or at, in a social setting? Who are you? What are you? What is your sense of self when you've defined yourself through your work for so long and you're no longer doing that kind of thing? And that was the biggest challenge, really. Um, not long after leaving Reuters in early 2015, I, I started, I had been working on the book idea, and we, we sold the book idea to a publisher. And, um, and my co-author, TJ, Sergeant Brennan, he had also had to redefine himself because 
as somebody with an injury, brain injury and post-traumatic stress, he had to figure out what his role, his new identity was going to be after leaving the military. And for him, it ended up being journalism. And I mentored him into journalism. And he's done really well. He's done incredible work, first getting his master's degree from Columbia and then starting his own uh, website covering the military and breaking the huge story this year of the nude photo sharing scandal on Marines United, which has led to congressional and Pentagon inquiries that have changed the codes of conduct across the military. So collaborating with him on the book uh, and working with him journalistically has, for both of us, allowed us to create new identities for ourselves as authors and for him as a journalist covering military affairs. But it took a while to figure out, for me, you know, even to even to feel comfortable calling myself an author. And I think only now that, that the book has come out just recently and I can hold it in my hands and, and look at it and we're we're out promoting it and talking about it, that I genuinely feel now like this is this is now what I am. I'm an author who has has some some distance and perspective that I can reframe the experiences that I had at war and as a photographer and share some of the insights and, and perhaps even wisdom that I've gained through doing that kind of work to share it with others and explore how, um, as we as we discuss in the book, um, about how friendship is really at the core of how we move through trauma. And trauma is a very isolating thing. We withdraw and we want to kind of be on our own at, a, at the time when we actually need to be engaging with those who are closest to us so that we don't become too isolated and spiral downward. Um, into this very kind of dark pit of despair. And and through our collaboration, uh, TJ and, and myself have been able to kind of pull ourselves, each other, out of this um, negative space and, and into a much more productive uh, arena with the book and, and talk about all of these issues in a way that hopefully will help other people who, who may be going through similar things, whether they're members of the military, members of the media, or members of the general public who've, who've undergone or, or experienced some form of trauma. Ophimbar, I wish you all the best for the future. I hope the book does really well. I really enjoyed reading it. And I think it really, it shows the power of friendship in healing and finding meaning again in life. So thank you very much. Thank you.